Hello, and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and I think I saw Andy sitting in the studio today. Andy, there, there you are. I am very, very sneaky, Oh, sir. hello. I just popped out of this chair. <laughs> I became the chair. You can't see me. I'm actually wearing the colors of the chair. You are. You're very monochrome today. That looks good. It's like a hiding spot. Um, speaking of, guys, you can't see us at all. Uh, if, you ha- if you guys haven't noticed, for the past couple of episodes, we've decided to uh, just go back to old school podcasting uh, for a few reasons. Uh, for one reason, long-term video is extremely time-consuming, and it's just a little too much of a strain on our small team right now. And reason number two being, it's a little bit easier to be genuine and kind of forget that you're being recorded and just hanging out with your friend talking about things when there's not a camera in front of your face. You do. You just. It's a you, little bit easier. You feel like you're much more pushed for time. Exactly. You feel like so, you're just you. You can't say what's always on your mind. You can't say all your opinions on something. You're like, I gotta and, just no 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 fat. Just right. Me. And you feel like you gotta look at the camera sometimes. You know. Um, but I don't know. You guys may just be podcast listeners, and you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, "You guys got a YouTube channel?" But <laughs> uh, but either way, I, I just thought I needed to explain myself on that. I'm sorry that uh, that we stopped recording these, but we will be doing video versions of every strange and unexplained case. Um, it just, there'll be, you know, they're shorter episodes. Um, it's, it's more scripted, more produced, more written in house. So those are, you know, the videos that we can, that we can tolerate right now. Those are, those are also, those are also centered more around telling a story. Exactly. Instead of of having a conversation about something that is just one of us telling you a story. It's able for us to just kind of like, you know, put some sounds in, some music in, set the vibe and get this information across and not have a bunch of distractions. So yeah, the sand do really lends itself to video form where we're kind of learning in in the TCG proper. It's just, it kind of put more strain on us in the conversation. And it took the fun out of podcasting, if I'm being honest. It really did for me. For me, uh, personally, it took the it took the fun out of it. Now, in the future, maybe we'll go to maybe like one camera in the room or something like that. Just a, a good quality camera set up in the corner and put that on Patreon for a little while or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, guys, I just thought that deserved an explanation. So if you've been missing these regular episodes on YouTube, that's why. Um, but for the future, you guys can catch episodes here every single Wednesday, like regular, on the podcasting platform. Um, and you can also catch episodes early and ad-free on Patreon, patreon.com slash guys. You guys can get access to every episode that we've ever done, every Patreon exclusive when we're not here, when we're doing headlines and shenanigans here on the free platform. You guys get access to all of those. And like I said, also these episodes early and ad-free. Uh, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, though, because we are still putting videos up from uh, Strange and Unexplained, uh, which is back. Sandu proper, new episode. Just came out this past Monday on the 1916 New Jersey shark attacks. That was a fun one, Andy. The real Jaws. The inspiration for Jaws. The inspiration for Jaws. And I think it was one shark. I still still think it was two. Yeah, I think it was one single shark that did this. I think the attacks were too, they were too much in line. They were too similar. They were just, it just became very obvious. It was like, there's not, there's not multiple sharks swimming around this no. close at the same time. Either. Exactly. You guys got to check it out. Um, I found it fascinating. I, my daughter actually checked a book out about this at the library and she was like, and she, she was reading some to me and I'm like, hold on, what? She was reading the, the opinion of sharks in 1916 and it, it just, I was like, wait, people didn't know sharks were dangerous. People thought sharks were dumb? They <laughs> they thought sharks were docile. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, literally, 1916 New Jersey, that's when sharks broke bad. 
Exactly. That's when sharks changed in our minds forever. And it's a it's a pretty interesting story. It's a gruesome uh, but fascinating story. Um, speaking of gruesome and fascinating, last week's case here on TCG, if you guys have not checked that out, the Velisca Axe Murders, um, an unsolved murder case, much like the Axemen of Norlands. Dude, that was a brutal case last week. That was one of the ones we we actually you know gave a like, like, little warning beforehand. We're like, this yes. one's gonna get rough. Yes. But uh, yeah, that case had a lot of, it just, it, it had so much brutality for what seemed like an a, an innocent environment. Like it wasn't like an inner city. This wasn't like a, a crime yeah. area. This wasn't even like a hot time for crime. This was just a rough. And didn't this take time, take place around the same time, like 1912, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was very similar. Hey, listen, man, that was a rough decade. Sharks were smelling the blood. That was a crazy, a crazy decade. Uh, but anyways, this week, guys, we are coming a little more, little more in the future, into the two thousands at least, like at least hundred years uh, in the future, like a hundred years in the future. <laughs> we like skipped exactly, a little bit, like exactly a hundred years. That's right. Uh, this crime that we're talking about, well, it started in November of two thousand twelve, and Brooklyn, New York, was on edge as three local shopkeepers were murdered over the course of five months. The killer was 64-year-old traveling salesman named Salvatore Perón. Perón was eventually arrested and convicted for these brutal crimes and would later be dubbed as the Son of Sal by media outlets. Um, but the real fascinating thing about this case is why, Andy. That's why I decided to do this case today because it lends, it well, it lends itself well to discussion. I do think there is a good chance that our perpetrator this week suffered from mental illness. Okay, yeah. maybe a few different mental illnesses. So keep that in mind as we're rolling forward, but that, that doesn't excuse them for the crime, obviously. But um, some people thought it was hate crimes. Some people thought it was uh, crimes of passion because he knew his victims. Um, or, you know, he kind of was at a very bad spot in his life. Was it a man with nothing to lose? Just following up on petty grudges? I don't know. But uh, I'll tell you what I think, Andy, after the intro, though. Oh, thank you. Let's get into yeah. this, Michael. We'll also maybe find out what you want. I find. Yeah. yeah. Police are calling him a serial killer who has made statements now implicating himself, but so far they haven't given a motive in the murders of three Brooklyn store owners. He's, uh, it's all hyped up. Let's go, let's go, let's go. It's not normal like us. reasonable to assume that he was going to continue doing this and by arresting him we have uh, saved lives. I just want to ask you one question man, why? Tell me the reason why. All right, guys, for the second part of this intro, I want to play a little snippet of Sal Peron himself in court, just so you get an idea of the audacity of this man and just how in his own world he really is. And you also get an idea of how disruptive he was as well. So without further ado, here's a clip of Sal firing his or wanting to fire his first attorney. Here it is. I was told that you are the only person that can change my attorney. I respectfully request new counsel to defend me. Uh, John, briefly. Yeah, uh, I'll be happy to hear you. Go ahead. We were given names. And no addresses, 
know other information. And, and I gave you addresses. We were given names and no other addresses. But we have a private investigator, not at Mr. Ramos talking to other investigators speaking with him again. Okay. The police reached out to my daughter. They got her phone number. I had her on the telephone. She was scared for her life. I was being threatened. I was locked up for 36 hours. I was tortured for 36 hours, locked up in the police station. I had an opportunity to talk to my daughter in the middle of the conversation and cut off the phone call to my daughter. I don't know the condition. To date, I still have not spoken to my daughter. Mr. Martin, I can't see how he cannot reach my daughter. The police reached my daughter. I gave him the information, my daughter, where she is. I gave him the information where my sister is. How is he going to properly represent me in this case if he can't reach my sister and he cannot reach my daughter? Well, first of all, I want to assure you, Mr. Perone, that Mr. Martin has been working in your behalf. I know that because he filed an omnibus motion for discovery uh, in, in your behalf that the DA's office had to answer. He also contacted me and the district attorney to try to get contact information for your relatives so that the doctors doing the 730 exam could speak to your relatives. According to the 730 examination report, the doctors were unable to speak to these relatives that you well, were talking about. Well, if you spoke about. to the detective who was at the police station, this Louis Oreo, I believe his name is, and his partner, Rich, they have my daughter's phone number. All right, based on this record, there's really nothing more for me to do regarding this issue. Excuse me, it's not a reason. It's not a reason for me to replace Mr. Martin based on the facts that are, I've been made aware of. Apparently, your family members are not interested in coming to court on this case I do not or, or, I or, in, or in assisting you on this matter because I'm pretty sure that they would know about this matter and if they wanted to help you out, they would be here to support you because that's the way it works around here in every other case that I'm familiar with. So, Salvatore Perone was born November 22nd, 1948, in Sicily, Italy, and moved to the United States as a child. Um, at a very rough time to move to the United States, really. Uh, yeah, this is it was a, it's a time when millions of other Italians were fleeing Italy due to rural poverty and lack of economic opportunity. And you can imagine the competition was pretty fierce for young Salvatore. Um, yeah, this just, is post World War II Italy, like right yes. off the back of the Mussolini like regime falling. Yes, yeah, this is a lot of Im Italian immigrants coming to America at this point. Absolutely, just in his own neighborhood, the competition was fierce. Right, his family lived in Bensonhurst, a Brooklyn suburb, and that's pretty much where he'd spend the rest of his life. Not a whole lot is known about his childhood, but like I said, you could imagine the struggles of a young immigrant child in the 1950s. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, um, you know, especially then, immigrant children, they faced a lot of criticism from their native peers, whether they be the same nationality as them or not. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it was tough. And this is a time, like I said, this is like the baby boomer generation to where it's like, if you, if you weren't like an American and you didn't like your parents, your parents did your father didn't fight in the war. And then you were like yeah. an immigrant from this country. It's like, you right. were treated differently. It's like everybody, you had this post-war boom and the, a lot of the immigrants at that time were treated differently, especially than the veterans coming back. So. Right. Exactly. Oh, definitely. Um, now, in his unassuming adult life, he worked as an apparel salesman that somewhat flew under the radar of normal society. Well, for a little while, at least. Obviously, oh, we're doing you, this show. So. I thought you meant his apparel flew under the radar for a while. I was like, oh, he was like a visionary? His apparel <laughs> flew under the radar forever. He was like a visionary um, of, of fashion. <laughs> no. Like Halson. Uh, that's what he wanted to be. That That is. He wanted to be renowned for his fabrics, Andy. <laughs> He he actually ends up trademarking his name later. Like I said, he's like a yeah. Halst, he's like a young Halston. Yeah, where is he? He wants McGregor? to be. He wants to be, uh, but he he was a little bit self destructive. Oh, opinion. okay. Yeah, the great ones um, always are, Michael. But bef- <laughs> right, but before he started self destructing, he opened his own clothing shop in Bay Ridge, and his personal life was coming together as well. And in the 1980s, he met his wife Maria Salerno, who was also an Italian immigrant and a seamstress. So the two uh, were made for each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is a very like they a, really were. It's they a were Bronx tale. They very. were passionate about clothes too in New York in Brooklyn. That's what I said. This, you know what what I mean? very, this is a very New York story. This it, is a very it, New York very immigrant New story. York story. I think I'm gonna do the rest of it like this. Very New York immigrant yeah, story yeah. right here. In my, 1985, my, fa- <laughs> my father he was a, my father was a clothing maker. My father right. was a tailor. My mother yeah. was a seamstress. What are you gonna do? It was a match made in heaven. <laughs> my uncle's a cobbler. <laughs> <laughs> But in 1985, they moved to Staten Island and purchased a property that had long been a neighborhood eyesore, and they really did nothing to change that. Um, the couple, <laughs> but the couple began their renovation and add-on plans. But when they split, the property quickly started falling apart. Um, oh my God, this house! We gotta talk about this house for a minute. It was, it's creepy. Dude, imagine like the house on uh, uh, Minions. You know, Gru's house. Yes. That one house uh, on the street. Me. It's it's like that, but with like puke green trim. So it's like every other house next to it, kind of decent, and then there's just like yeah. this one, like just haunting, like oh, skeleton yeah. in the middle of the neighborhood. And and they were also trying to make it like a fortress. They wanted tall fences and and everything private in a community that thrived on being part of a community. Yeah, that was very you know open door. That was very yes. neighborly and t- you know block parties down there. Absolutely, you know. very cordial. Yeah, but alas. Now divorced and estranged from his family, Perone had accumulated a list of civil complaints about his home and other legal issues over the years. But nothing, though, that would indicate what he later became. And once Perone started dating a woman in Brooklyn, he halted all work on his old home, and he lived in Staten Island part-time. Now, one neighbor, who wished to remain anonymous, stated that Perone began sleeping in the basement of his Staten Island home, calling him a nasty piece of work. I mean, okay. your, base, your basement dweller. <laughs> your dirty basement he's a, dweller. He's a nasty piece of work, let me tell you. No, but yeah, at this point, like he, he was like, fuck this house. Yeah, I mean, why? Right. He's like, he, he basically bought it with the hopes of like be turning into a dream home slash, like he said, fortress. Yeah, exactly. And then his whole life just fell apart. He's like, no, fuck this house. I'm fuck go- this house. And then when he's with his girlfriend, he lives with her in Brooklyn. You know, he stays with her in Brooklyn part-time anyways. Yeah. So when he gets tired of this house, living in the basement, he just goes stays with her. But along with his home, uh, Perone's mental state was also deteriorating. He was becoming more and more paranoid that everyone was out to get him. 
uh, and with the bank and multiple credit bureaus because obviously he's not paying on a house he doesn't give a shit about, mm-hmm. right? And then he owes money on loans that he borrowed for renovations as well. Um, and not to mention his relationship with his neighbors going to shit. So the fact that everyone was out to get him really wasn't far from the truth, to be I, honest, at this point. I was like, I don't think they were, everybody was out to get him. I think everyone was just kind of annoyed, just done well, with him. They well, you have like, to we, think. We're in, just tired of dealing with you. In Salvatore world. Yeah, oh, okay. Everyone yes. is out to get him though, Andy. I mean, I forgot. imagine that. I forgot what, 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 what world we were talking about here. Uh, exactly. I mean, but seriously though, in the, in the places he lives, right? Even his girlfriend, Natasha is getting onto him at this point. <laughs> Natasha. She once said he was... Too poor to buy a bottle of wine. She's Russian. <laughs> of course. <I> don't know. <laughs> She's, you know, so I had to ditch him. He's a very, very <laughs> He's worthless man. I am Natasha. I am a Russian girlfriend. <laughs> but his paranoia feeding his actions and his actions creating more issues for him that in turn create more paranoia. It was a vicious cycle. It yeah. really was. Uh, the neighbor said that she and several others fought with him about the state of his home, which racked up a total of 14 complaints with the city department of buildings. Uh, neighbors began calling Perone the son of Sal, presumably after the notorious 1970 serial killer, son of Sam, you know, David Berkowitz. Who could forget? Yeah, right? Um, yeah, it, it, this is kind of ominous now, looking back. Yeah, they, it's kind of like He got you... this moniker way before. They were just going by just his interactions with them. They're like... With each interaction, he's escalating and escalating. And so they're like, fucking son of Sam over here. Son of Sal, why? Yeah, at this point, yeah. you almost have to, not, I'm definitely not victim blaming it at all at this point. It's like, you almost no. have to question the neighbors. It's like, you guys almost fucking create this? You guys started calling him son of Sal before he did any of this shit. It's like, you put the idea in his fucking head. Well, they probably didn't call him that to his face. No, I'm just saying, it's like the idea of being like, oh, you guys think I'm son of Sal? Son of Sal? I'll, I'll show you son of Sal. Yeah, he he was a little bit crazy. Yeah, it's like, you, don't get, you, sh- you shouldn't be earning a nickname like that before you've committed mass murder. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's not a good sign. That that lets you know right there that he was being confrontational and being physical with people. Oh yeah, as well. If you're yeah. already being compared to somebody like that and you haven't done like real crimes, it's uh, it's almost like a, like a pretty much a uh, not a guarantee, but it's a pretty I mean, good bet he, to say it's a safe bet to say you might commit some crimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he did have he did have quite a rap sheet though. Um, aside from the complaints filed by neighbors, Perone was previously arrested on charges of drunken driving in Staten Island and in New Jersey and of theft and harassment uh, in Pennsylvania. Hmm. So charged with driving in <clears throat> Staten Island? Mm-hmm. What? Nah, I'm just fucking with it. I was just making a joke about Staten Island. <laughs> I was like, oh, just driving in Staten Island? <laughs> just driving. That's a crime. What are you doing? What do you mean? Um, you can't drive sober in Staten Island. What are you talking about? Apparently, he was making these trips to Pennsylvania to try and sell his leftover fabrics. Um, he was having a lot of trouble because he had lost his store in Bay Ridge. Um, and like I said, he eventually just became a traveling salesman, pretty also, much. Also lost um, his seamstress. It, it yeah. Yeah. It's like, yes. I got all this fabric now. I don't know how to yeah. sew. He did. Well, he was selling his fabrics to clothing companies. Yeah. And designers. Um, like some of them on Fifth Avenue. Seriously. Mm. Like he had, he was, as far as, you know, providing these designers with fabrics, he was somebody. Yeah. In the game, you know. It's like, he's like, he's um, one of those, he's a character that I feel like it's like, I was selling to Fifth Avenue. It's like, are you on Fifth Avenue or is this more like a, like an off Fifth Avenue right. type. 
Like, yeah, like he was just off Fifth Avenue. No like that alleyway uh, behind Macy's. There's one of the murders took place on Fifth Avenue. I know. I was just like, yeah. this guy seems like, well, I'm selling on Fifth Avenue. You're yeah. selling in an alleyway in behind, an alley the, behind, behind the Belks. <laughs> it's five and a half Avenue at best. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he loses his store in Bay Ridge. Uh, he eventually became a traveling salesman. And with these charges that he's accumulating and the debt, oh my God, the the debt, the overwhelming debt, he just, I mean, he's basically the character in The Death of a Salesman. Yeah, he's, he's completely falling apart. He's losing his grip on reality and his life is crumbling. And he, at this point, anyone, I think, could make the argument for Perone that he has nothing to lose. Yeah, at Especially this point, him. yeah. It's almost like it's it, you're almost hitting rock bottom at this point for in, in yeah. his world, yeah. Exactly, and you're talking tw- 2012. He's like 65 years old. Yeah. So, uh, and he, here's a little hint, Andy, to to someone who may be losing their marbles. Some nights, Perone would be seen uh, singing opera in the streets with a glass of wine and a cigar, just top of his lungs, you know, just singing to all the neighbors who he'd just. Fucking cussed out earlier. Um, other nights, he'd sit in a chair in the street and just drink beer uh, and just stare at his house. I mean, was he any good? That's the only. That's the only I gotta I, know. I, probably, right? I mean, if he's if he's halfway decent, I mean, I mean, like, listen, I'll deal with some of your yelling if you're gonna sing me a nice soprano I, at the right? end. But uh, that, that kind of sounds nice. Yeah, you know, have a nice, nice cigar out ambience. there and just oh, <laughs> You know what? This makes up for those yells you said no. earlier. He has a lovely voice. <laughs> you know what? I feel his pain. <laughs> right. But what's funny though is while he was out there and while he would sit out there and drink beer, you know, when I when I first started looking into this and I seen it in a few articles and whatnot and neighbors talking about that, um, I assumed he was sitting, you know, in his lawn staring at all his neighbors, right? Death staring them all. Yeah, just that, no. like Clint, just that Gran Torino, Clint Eastwood, just staring at everybody. No, it's by. more like he's sitting on the sidewalk out in front of his house, staring at his own house. Oh, that's a crazy person. Yeah, that's never, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. That's what was happening. I mean, it's yeah. still similar to Clint Eastwood and uh, Gran Torino, but still, no, that's a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what it was about, man. Maybe he was like, someone's in my house and I'm going to wait for him to come out. You know what? Fuck. I don't he probably he could have. <laughs> he's just staring at this house. He's like, God, the owner of this house is just a piece of shit. Look at it this house. Shit. It's falling he's just apart. Looking. He's like, God, this piece of this house is a piece of shit. If I could just wait, <laughs> I'm just waiting for the fucking owner to come out so I can give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> this guy needs to hear what I gotta say. Right, right, right. Oh my gosh! And at this point, I think Perone was a little too proud still to uh, to give up on his dreams. But the reality of it was that even his fabrics that he was creating and the quality of his work was in bad decline like to the point where vendors were were having to make up excuses to not buy from him like they're you know because they bought from him for so long yeah so one one man that he murdered he bought for he uh sold to him for 20 years andy and now all of a sudden like his these guys are just are making shit. up excuses like no yeah. salvatore i don't i don't know what to tell you silk uh, it's just not uh, it's not in right now it's not now. in demand nobody, nobody uh, this uh, what is this cotton uh, cotton is uh, it's uh, cotton is out uh, it's yeah. not it's not big now sorry we're, exactly we're, look, we're looking for pure velvet now <laughs> exactly and someone like salvatore who believes that everything he does is gold and amazing took this as a slight yeah 
This is not know? against. This is actually against him. This exactly. Is not, this is not the the, the economy. This has nothing this to do is, with the fabrics. They're just teaming up on me. There's nothing to do with my behavior or That's my right. work ethic or my sloppy delivery of everything. No, like this is clearly my. This is me. <laughs> this is slightly against my character. Yeah, the stains on the fabric. That's not. That's <laughs> just adds character. Yeah, exactly. But uh, in 2008, he stopped paying on his house, and he carried what he had left of his products around in a duffel bag, trying to push them off on old friends and acquaintances in the Bay Ridge area. Now, him walking around with this duffel bag was a popular occurrence. Yeah, it became like a character. Yes. He was walking around in all black with this duffel bag all the time, and allegedly, he carried his fabrics in it. Right? Uh, no, yes. no problem there, Andy. Just a bag of fabric. Just a black duffel bag of fabric. Exactly. No big deal. Except for in the summer of 2012 uh, when he started committing some of his most heinous crimes yet, Andy. You have any idea what that might be? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say tax evasion. It's not. It's murder. Damn it! <laughs> and on July 6th, Barone walked into a rival clothing shop at closing time. The shop was owned by 65-year-old Muhammad Jabeli. The two men had known each other for 20 years. This is the gentleman I mentioned earlier. Um, but still, I, I wouldn't call them friends. Yeah, they're okay. work, they're, they're, they, they know each other from work. Business acquaintances. Yeah. yeah. A, he's a friend from work, as Thor yes. would say. And in this interaction, Jabeli tried his best to be cordial to the man, but was met with a blank expression and no response. Then Perone reached into his black duffel bag and pulled out a sawed-off .22 caliber rifle, and fired once at Jabelli, striking him in the neck. Now, thinking he was dead, Perone then covered Jabelli with clothes and left the building. Now, unfortunately for Jabelli, he wasn't dead, and he could have been saved had anyone even knew about him. But it was right at closing time. He was at the store alone. Uh, Salvatore knew he would be at the store alone. Um, and Jabelli ended up bleeding out on the floor of his Bay Ridge clothing store. I just, that's, that, it seems almost like a, it's very cinematic to an extent. It seems like a, it seems like a scene from the Terminator, from like the first Terminator, like just this guy yeah. coming into the store in like a black trench coat with a black duffel bag and then pulling out like the most unorthodox gun. Yes. It's to pull out what you would like a sawed off gun from a duffel bag. You assume like a sawed off shotgun or something like right, that. Right. This guy pulls out a sawed off 22 hunting 22 rifle. long rifle, yeah. That is the most inconvenient type. <laughs> like, it, it's almost like pulling out an air rifle well, to an extent, he, like he, a cut off air rifle. That's yeah. how small those are. Well, he had what he had, you know? Exactly. And it's just like, it's such a weird scene. It's very much this guy was almost probably looking at him like, is this real? Is that, is that a gun? Yeah. And he had a flashlight duct tape to the bottom of it, too. Yeah. It's just like he wanted crudely, to, it's like he kinda, wanted to seem like the Terminator. It's like that was all. It's like he's like coming out with this duffel bag uh, of like, you know, this like you know, almost like this big like assassin gun or like right, this big right. like, like you know like, a, like an assassin or something like that, like this like silenced gun or something. But it's not. It's a fucking flashlight taped to a hunting uh, rifle. Exactly. But exactly. Yeah. yeah. He he had to use whatever he had. I think he was going to commit these murders if he had to do it with a knife. Yeah. Honestly, which he had knives with him as well. But yeah, but we'll he, just, he just seemed very cinematic when he played this. Like he was like he was. Like almost like he was playing a role. He's a little bit dramatic, Andy. Yeah, it's like he's he playing a role. He sings opera in the street with wine and a cigar. He's a little bit dramatic. Yeah, it's like he was doing what yeah. he like almost what he thought this like this yeah. this person should be doing. It's exactly, weird. exactly. But it wasn't less. It wasn't even a month later, on August second, Isaac Kader, fifty nine, was in his store around closing same time again when Perone walks in, shoots him, 
and then stabs him twice in the neck before stealing what money, what money he could find in the store. Then he proceeds to pour bleach around Kader's body and placed an aluminum tray over his face. Now, no money was stolen in the first murder, right? Not the first one. Okay, so that was, yeah, because that's I was I was questioning whether or not like they tied him to the, this murder. They're like, this yeah. seems so similar to another murder. Yes, but they did find yeah. the twenty-two caliber casings at both. Yeah, this that's was kinda... just, this is the one that just, like, this one is almost like he's picking up an M.O. now. Yes, yeah. and both bodies were covered with clothes. Yeah. You know, but like you said, like I said, with this one, he poured bleach around his body. He went the extra mile to do that, and then he placed the aluminum tray on his face. Now, uh, some psychological experts believe that covering a body after murder is the murderer's way of trying to reverse that murder in their mind, just kind of erase that. Uh, but the bleach in the aluminum tray really, to me, just seemed to be a way to cover your tracks. Yeah. I mean, he's just trying to destroy any evidence around. Yeah, exactly. I, I, like, think. I think hiding the body as crudely as he did, it's not like he was trying to really hide the body. It's like he knew this body was going to be found either right. the next day or the, in like the following days. So it's not like he was trying to get the body out of there and not let anybody know that this person had been killed, but he wasn't exactly like really leaving it on display either. So right. it is, it's like a mixture of like, is this something you're, it's that the weird, when the mental illness come, comes into play, it's like, are you trying to get caught or are you trying not to get caught? Cause you're, you're leaving it, but you're not really, you know, covering too many of your tracks. Right. And why would you go through the, the trouble of doing all that, but not picking up the casing? Yeah, and and for the first murder too. to leave leave them like not take any money to not make it look like it was a robbery. It's like this one. Yeah. It's like you're you're just making it up as you go along to an extent. Well, maybe the second one he was a little more comfortable, so he's like, oh, I might as well take the money while I'm here. Or he's just, or at this point, he's just a bit more strapped for cash. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. True. Um, as word got around about the killings, local shopkeepers were naturally on edge. Both victims were Egyptian immigrants, and many thought that these killings may be hate crimes at the time. Well, either way, Perón may have been spooked by the uh, hate crime accusations. Yeah. Um, because, you know, that's palpable in a community, especially in 2012. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he, but, so he chilled out for a little while. He chilled out for about two months until the fall. This was just after Hurricane Sandy had hit the area. And a neighbor was removing a tree that had fallen partially on Salvatore's property. Perón did not like this at all. He became irrational with his neighbor. And this event could have possibly pushed him over the edge to commit his next and final murder. Oh, wow. I didn't even um, realize that this, like, I was kind of putting together some of the timelines. My, da my, my dad was like in New York at this time for a while, right after Hurricane oh, really? Sandy. Yeah, right in 2012, right after Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. He was actually staying in New York for months at a time, doing some insurance claims and stuff. Yeah. Well, for his final victim, Perone set his sights on the Shishi Boutique. This is the one that's on uh, Fifth Avenue. Okay. On November 16th, Ramatala Vahidapur. Vahidapur was 78 years old. He was alone in his store behind the counter, just like the others. When Perone walked in, he wasted no time. He walked straight up to Vahidapur and shot him three times, twice in the head and once in the torso. Perone then dragged his body to the back of the store. This is the first body he moved, by the way, and covered him with clothing. Uh, strangely enough, when police found Vahidapur, he had over $170 in his pocket, which suggested that the killer was no longer interested in robbery. Mm -hmm. So this was, a, this was very puzzling for them. Um, 
But I don't know. Maybe he had some. Uh, now they're thinking that maybe robbery wasn't the motive for this. Maybe he just needed cash for that day. Yeah. And decided to grab some, but it's not the overall motive. So now they're they're thinking uh, serial killer. Yeah. And also, when when you say the back of the store, it's it's still he didn't like take him into like the back office. It's like he didn't take him like out of sight. He literally just pulled him like no towards, to the back yeah, of the showroom. Yeah, to the back of the showroom. So it's yeah. like as soon as the person, as soon as somebody came in the store, it's like you could walk in the store and see like clothes on the floor, and if you didn't notice, you like the body was under those. Yes, but it was he still didn't take the time to like really hide the body. So. Yeah, and what's crazy is after he does all this at this scene. Uh, Perone then goes out with his girlfriend, Natasha, and just danced and talked and joked around with others at a bar like nothing happened. Uh, obviously, Natasha didn't know this at the time. This comes from her her testimony later. Um, but she was just appalled when she put the timeline together and she was like, oh, my God. You know, the night we went out dancing, you acted completely normal. God, I bet that man is a just a creep on the dance floor. Can you imagine him? I, I, he's probably one of those guys who goes out there. He's got he's got his thinning hair just slicked back with so much pomade, yes. deep open like leopard <clears throat> shirt, like oh, silk yeah. shirt on. Definitely, just so much fucking aqua de jour, the cologne, <laughs> just reeking. Just can't breathe. Just got so many neck, just bracelets and rings on. <laughs> Just scraped on the floor. So sweaty. Just dancing. <laughs> oh, so sweaty. So sweaty. So sweaty. Um, but meanwhile, while he's out here cutting a rug and getting super sweaty, the NYPD was linking the three murders together. And they were putting together the clues pretty fast, Andy, because there was quite a few clues, as we've mentioned already. Uh, each murder was committed near closing time. A twenty-two caliber shell casing was recovered recovered at all three crime scenes. Yeah. It's like, how do you know about all this other stuff? Like, you're using bleach and, and all this stuff, but you're not picking up the, the freaking casing? Exactly. It's one that's, of the things that's like, you're not knowledgeable of guns. Like, do you not realize it's ejecting the casing every time? Or are you just I, leaving I that? Not. I guess not. I guess so. Um, and also, all three bodies were concealed with clothing or other items that was from the store. Now, they also had surveillance footage of a man dubbed John Doe Duffelbag. Um, he was dubbed that by the police, and he was spotted on security footage near two of the murder sites at, at right around the time of the murders. Because that is something that's also there that was really inconvenient, is like but all the stores he hit did not have security cameras like catching him in the stores. Right. It's like he knew that these stores did not have security cameras. Which is crazy. It's I like, mean, 2012, man. That's you know, it's 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. Like now, there and this are, is New York. T- there is not years. one store on Fifth Avenue. I venture. Well, I'm just thinking New York post 9/11. It's like this is only 10, like 10 years after 9/11 to an extent. And yeah. you're like you'd think that everybody has security cameras. Everybody's like watching everything. Right. But yeah, right. they had they they could only well, catch the, him on like neighboring security cameras walking the street. Well, I think because there's so much public security going mm-hmm. on in New York, because that's that was my, uh, that's what I gathered was the fact that they they caught him on like CCTV footage, right? Yeah, from like outdoor cameras, yes, from, like, uh, on the corners Just, and other businesses and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because all the footage that you see, yeah, he's like walking down a sidewalk with mm-hmm. the duffel bag. Um, so what they decided to do was release this photo to the public and see if anybody knew him. And a local pharmacist came forward and stated that the man in the picture was Salvatore Perone. He was sure of it. Yeah, so, he's pretty He's pretty recognizable. Yeah. If you've seen him every day, like this man that came forward, he had seen uh, Sal every single day. Oh, yeah. Walking around the neighborhood with that duffel bag. 
for that's, months. Yeah, that's son of Sal. Yeah. That's old crazy Sal with his and, duffel bag. Yep. And see, it wasn't even crazy at first because he was just carrying around his fabrics. What if he was just walking around carrying the fabrics for so long just as a alibi mm-hmm. well, at to this be point, carrying the, a gun? It's like <laughs> or maybe point, he had the, the gun, gun the whole time. You're probably right. I think he probably did. I think at that double back, I think he had the gun. I think he was kind of already on edge and a little out of his mind a bit. But it's like, at this point, you're so recognizable for just being the guy in a trench coat and a duffel bag. Yeah. That's all the guy had to recognize on the camera. That's it. Like, oh, I know that guy. He and walks around can, my neighborhood every week. And you can see the mustache. Uh, yes, but still, it's like, yeah. you just know that guy now. You're like, you're wearing a uniform. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, it took no time for the NYPD to find Perone, and they questioned him on November 20th, 2012. The following day, a 22 caliber rifle and three knives, one of which appeared to have blood on it, uh, were discovered in a duffel bag found in his girlfriend, old Natasha's Brooklyn apartment. I was surprised he didn't have the duffel bag on when they found him, just wandering the street still. Oh, no. He, it's like, he, oh, that's Sal. He wanders He wanders 3rd Street every uh, 2 o'clock every day. <laughs> You got a duffel bag. Keep right. distance. <laughs> yeah. No, he uh he tried to he tried to pass it off on old Natasha. He's like, honey, will you hold this bag for me? Yeah. Don't open it. <laughs> don't open it. Please don't open it. It's got the it's got my fabrics. It's got all my fabrics. You open in it, there. you don't love me. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll know if you opened it. I'll know. <laughs> Trust me, there will be signs. Italians always know. There will be signs that you open his bag. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the, my first sign will be I will be in handcuffs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But while his fingerprints were found on the weapon and ballistic testing determined the shell casings uh, retrieved from each crime scene were fired from that said weapon, Perone maintained he was working for the Italian CIA. Okay? This is good reason here. Okay. Okay. In a state of mania, he allegedly told police that the killing spree has to do with a plan to promote world peace. Yeah. Okay, okay. He was very okay. confident about this. I'm listening. World peace, okay. Um, not not following your me- your method no, so far, no. but... <laughs> yeah, he said that he had emails from a, from a CIA uh, employee. Like an operative or something yes, giving like him orders. During his, during his interrogation with the police, he told the detective yeah. that he had emails. The detective's like, okay, great. You got your computer? Yeah, that's actually... They go actually get a- his computer and he tells him his email, tells him his password, which is golden 22, by the way. His password's golden 22. Yeah, the cops had a good laugh at that. Yeah. Like, in his face, too. The cops oh, didn't yeah. even, like, give him time to, like, correct it. They were like, what's your password? Golden 22? Really? That's your fucking password? It's I like mean, such, they are Brooklyn such, police, Such dude. Brooklyn cops. Just like, <laughs> they are that's Brooklyn. your fucking password? You fucking do- Yeah, it was fucking you. <laughs> fucking I know it was you. you. Fucking A. You 22 ass. <laughs> you fucking Ray. You fucking loser. That's like, really yeah. all we need. We're putting like, you away. He does. He's like, he's telling, yeah. he's very like, like the cop who's interviewing him, he's like, he's, he's very convincing at first. He's like, he's like, I've been talking to this guy from the CIA, from the Palestinian uh, sector in this organization. And they're like, right. There's not a, there, I don't know if there's a Palestinian sector. And apparently yeah. your job is to target Israelis. Well, two of them were Muslim. What are you talking about? He's yeah, like, exactly. Um, They weren't on board. Like with what? <laughs> Lots of people aren't on board <laughs> yeah, with this. Like, like, yeah, like, like the cop just looking at him, being like, "Oh, so you were trying to only kill Israelis, right?" Yes, two of them were Muslim. Ah, Wait, fuck. so you killed people? <laughs> <laughs> fuck, <laughs> got him. <laughs> fuck. But either way, it didn't really matter what Salvatore said. All the bullshit that he fed cops and all the ramblings he did in court, which I played some for the intro. Um. But either way, he was arrested on three counts of murder and three counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Um, And that's according to the Staten Island Advance. Perone was deemed fit to stand trial, and when court proceedings began in 2016, 
He took the stand in his own defense. Abso-fucking-lutely. Look at this guy. <laughs> of course. Who, who who else could represent this guy? Who else is smart enough, Andy? I'm paying the best lawyer in town. <laughs> Me. Me. <laughs> Do I also get and, to keep my retainer? And of, <laughs> exactly. And, of course, uh, he, his stance was that he never shot three shopkeepers. He's, he's, here's a quote straight from him. He says, I've waited for this moment for three years. I want everyone to know the truth. I was set up. Oh, God, yes. I love that moment in the interrogation when he's literally, the cop's like, okay, what's your password? What's your email? And he like logs into his email. He's like, there's some spam in here from Whole Foods and uh, your Planet Fitness membership is expired. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing here from the CAA. I'm looking nope. at your spam folder. Nope. You need to delete this spam folder. There's some serious stuff in here. <laughs> but yeah, he's like the guy, and like yeah. Salvatore's like, they, the, the, the CIA must have deleted it all from my hard oh, drive. yeah, he's got an excuse for everything. Yeah, he was like so quick to be like, they deleted it. They're setting me up. It's like, I don't think that's how they operate, but go ahead. Yep. Yeah, throughout the entire trial, he was prone to outburst, and then he fired his legal representative. It's like an episode of Better Call Saul. It's a, it's a freaking disaster. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought he was his own legal representative. It's like, <laughs> he fired himself, you're, you're Andy. Fine. You're fine. I'm, you, I'm fine. Somebody, you're fine. You're fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I got me a new lawyer. <laughs> He's just trying to stall. He like, just comes in the next episode with his mustache shaved off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a much more representable oh, lawyer now. <laughs> exactly. Do you believe me now? <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but uh, Perone was not in the courtroom when his verdict was read because he had been thrown out earlier for a display of disorderly conduct. Like, that's how rude he was in court. Like, he just... You can't throw your mustache at the judge. And you couldn't talk to him either. No. You just couldn't. He was not hearing it. No, this guy was very much he 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 was right in his mind, like or it, maybe or he was just sticking to his story regardless. Oh yeah, he was sticking to it, and it was garbage. And he was sentenced to seventy five years to life on March fourth, two thousand sixteen. And he is currently serving his sentence at the Clinton Correctional Facility in Danamora, New York. Oof, rough. Um, you know, in my opinion, Andy, I feel like he he wanted the success of his peers. And when he knew that he would never live up to that, he wanted to take it from him. Oh yeah, I feel like, like I he said, was maybe just maybe he uh, felt scorned. In I feel some like he way. just felt like he was wrongfully like misdone. He was like wrongfully lauded I, or something. Like he just right. he got screwed over, but it was always somebody else's fault. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And out of all the people who were against him, and out of all the people who were to blame, I would say the people who directly buy from you. You know, if you're a very small-minded person, you would think like, oh, my money comes from these guys. Yeah. And these guys aren't giving me money, and that's making me poor, and that's making my life suck, and that's what's making everybody hate me, and I can't afford to fix my house or buy my girlfriend a bottle of wine. Yeah. Fuck these guys. I just, yeah, this guy just seems like... like, small-minded. He just, yeah, he seems like a very small man. He thought he was, he thought he was apparently entitled to this, like... American dream of, you know, being an immigrant and working really hard and, you know, getting the nice white house with picket fence. And he, like, it was like, he thought this, he was entitled to like this easy life just because he was like doing what he was supposed to do. Right. And then when it didn't work out, like he thought it was going to, he just wanted to blame everybody else that it somewhat was working out for. 
Anybody who had like a sim, it's almost like people who had a similar or life anyone his, that had a direct effect in his failure. To yes, him. anybody you know who I mean? he could he could then blame, he could tie it back to, or anybody who he thought like, well, you had like a very similar life to me. Why is it working out for you? And now you're you're not helping me. You're yeah. screwing me over. You should be you should be helping me. I think it is odd that all of his victims were Middle Eastern, though. Mm. You know, I think that's kind of odd. Yeah, I think that's I think that actually lends itself a bit to some of just his more racist beliefs. Right. I think that's where the There's a say, lot like, of clothing places on Fifth Avenue, Andy. A lot. Yeah. There's a lot of clothing like, in New York. Come on. Just in New York. Like if yeah. you're if you're trying to sell clothes like sell, sell fabric, sell clothing in New York City, mm-hmm. there's places to sell it. If you're if you're s- stuck in this that's, mindset like I can only sell my fabric to to Saks Fifth Avenue and to yeah. you know to these top and I think country- that's what that's that was the thing he's like if I can't sell my top of the line fabrics to the top of the line stores where they belong then yeah. I'm not going to sell them yeah this is this is Gucci or nothing probably like could have sold out to Target man retired. You could have just fucking gone Moved down. to Florida. You, I mean, I mean, not. To, this is not like a like a, a a slur or anything. It's like you could have just gone to any other neighborhood or any other borough of Brooklyn or or of New York. Gone down to Chinatown, find local merchants. Gone down to little like little Italy, find yeah. little local bodegas. You could find stores to sell these things. Why would to you in think that would be a slur? Or something? Well, I'm just saying, like you could. I'm not saying like these are like <laughs> lower income areas to sell to. I'm like you could just go to anywhere else in New York. And oh. find all these small businesses and local shops. There's high-end places, places in every neighborhood. There are, but I'm like, this guy was so stuck on like, I must be selling to the name brands. I'm like, you just go fucking sell to small businesses. Mm. Go sell to small shops. Go sell to anybody else who yeah. will buy your shops just to make money. It's like at one time you drove to Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. It's like, why can't why aren't you do it? Probably couldn't afford the trip anymore. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, like, it's only one state away. Shit. Like I said, I feel like he just he just got in this mindset of like he thought he was owed this like you know, American dream. He thought yeah. he was owed this life of prosperity after paying his dues. Yeah. And then he started seeing these other people like succeeding you know, where he, what, where he thought he should have been. Yeah. And he just took it personally. Yeah. Maybe. You know what I find so frustrating about this case, Andy, is that the man believed he was doing it for a reason, right? Whether mental, in, you know, mental disabilities or not, mental illnesses or not, he believed that he was doing it for a reason and that he had a purpose and that it was justified. And then and then in the eyes of the public, you say he, he will never admit it. He'll never admit his guilt that he did anything, so there's nothing to explain, right? And then he believes that as well now, now that it's over, yeah. right? He covered them up. In his mind, like, I think that was all you know, symbolic, the way he threw the the clothes on them, covering them up. And I think now he hasn't taken responsibility for it. He had no money and his life was probably worse than prison life, especially for, well, I don't know. I don't know what kind of prison they're going to put him in. I don't think he should be in low security. You killed three people. Oh, if I'm not Um, mistaken, I believe the prison at Dannemora is not a, not a friendly one. Okay. So, well, either way, though, I mean, he's getting three square meals a day. He's getting exercise. He's getting sunshine, and he doesn't have to worry about his housing situation ever. And most importantly, he has his life. Yeah, you know what I mean. I just don't think that 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 that's good enough. I feel like he got off so so good compared to so many of our other to any other serial killer. They either got treated so bad in prison that they killed themselves or they were killed. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's very few who have lived like Randy Kraft. That's some bitch. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, he's still alive, isn't he? 
I think so. Dude, I think he's still alive. I mean, I mean, there's there's going to be people who, yeah, they, they're going to beat the system. They're going to stay forever. Like, you know, fucking Manson died of old age. But, but yeah, still. but one of the uh, one of the victim's family members said just that, too. And it just made, I was like, thank you. I feel the same way. I feel that he got off easy. They, I, it sucks that New York doesn't have the death penalty. Seriously. Um, because, uh, yeah, like you said, his the fact that his story changes so quickly, it's like when he's yeah. in the interrogation room... He's basically like admitting that I killed these people because the CIA told me exactly. to. Exactly. And I was to. doing this for a good reason and I was part of something. And then as soon as he gets in court, he's, you know, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't shoot anybody. I didn't nope. do anything. Why would I? No, you're you're, you're just setting me I up. I was you're set up. Me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, dude, you're, like I said, I feel like the first, you thought this was going to pay off. You thought you had some way of like, maybe they'll just buy this story of the CIA, which was, I don't know how you thought that was going to work. Right. But as soon as they poked holes in that story- you just fell apart and just denied everything. Yeah. But so it's like, that's why it's, it's very clearly like you're fit to stand trial because oh, you're yeah. lying to us. Exactly. And as soon as we called you on your lie, you changed your story. Exactly. Like, so yeah, when you just like the death penalty is, you know, it, it's, he got off a little bit too easy. This guy is one of those people. It's, it's, I don't want to say he's like, you know, too warped, but it's like, it's hard to say the why of all this. It's, exactly. it's, you can't really look at him and be like, oh, you're someone like and, Bundy and, or and you Gacy. Can't really, or, you can't truly punish someone like this. That's because what I'm saying. That's what's so aggravating about yeah, it. Yeah, because it's like, is this guy really that mentally ill or is this guy kind of just a whiny racist who wanted to blame somebody else for his problems? Mm. And he keeps going back and forth on these stories. It's like, well, which one are you? We don't even fucking know. Just, you know what? Go rot in a hole. Like, that's all you're going to, that's all you're going to get. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like you're clearly not me- – you're not mentally ill for us to really take care of you and put you in like an institution and really like, try and rehabilitate you. But it's like we can't get a great – a good enough answer out of you for why of all this. So just go fucking sit in a hole. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of the victims were very frustrated too. And a lot of them spoke uh, to Salvatore during the trials. Fajita Poor's daughter uh, said, quote, My father was a dedicated, hardworking man. He lived a life with dignity. God will punish you. You're pathetic. You will rot and die alone. You're a loser. End mm-hmm. quote. Uh, Jabelli's son, Mirage Jabelli, was also in court. And he said, quote, I've known you for 20 years. I just want to ask you one question. Why did you do this? Why? Um, and he goes on to say, every time you walked into my dad's store, it was near closing. And my father would stay open and wait for you. We treated you with love and respect. Why did he, or what did he do to you? Why did you do this? And Peron had the audacity to answer. And he said, I didn't shoot your father. And then he proceeds to give Jabelli a bullshit alibi as to where he was the day his father was killed. And it's not even worth mentioning. It is, it's all rambling. That's, that's why the court literally had to, the judge was like, just get out. You don't yeah. even know what's going on. He wasn't supposed to just, respond. No, this was supposed to be the time for the victim's families to, like, it's the time for the victim's family to say their piece. And like, you are like in the court of law, you're supposed to sit there and fucking take it. Yeah. And he just kept responding. He kept arguing back and yep. denying more shit. And they're like, no, fuck, get out of here. Yep. He maintained his innocence throughout everything, despite the avalanche of evidence against him. It was insane. And when it was his turn to speak, he stood up there and read from a typed script uh, listing the witnesses who were not called in his defense. 
and names of other possible suspects that could have done these crimes, Andy. Oh, of course, of course, this guy has a list of other suspects. He, this guy who's been a, a nobody and now has been arrested and been in like in jail for months. Of course, this guy who's representing himself has a great list of possible suspects that you guys yeah. are just not listening to. Right? Gosh, you guys just aren't listening. You're I'm the real detective anything. here. You guys aren't even listening to me. Right? And the judge, so the judge finally, he says, despite all the overwhelming evidence that convicted this defendant, videos, DNA, fingerprints, telephone records, the defendant is still in denial. And Perone responds, if I'm lying, hang me. In a state where they don't have the death penalty, real brave. Yeah. So brave. I mean, I'd bring it back just for him. I'd I be mean, like, all right, bet. I've seen some people in New York end up being like hanging in jail cells before. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we can have that arranged. Uh, Brooklyn District Attorney Ken Thompson, he said, and I'll end it with this. He said, I hope his life sentence will bring some comfort to the victims' families who have suffered so much loss and grief. And I just don't think it, I don't think it does. No. I really don't. I, I just try to put myself in their shoes and I'm just like, this man did not get what he deserves. He needs to be, I don't know. He's just a danger to society. Yeah. Someone who can't, who can't, has zero empathy, you know, completely self-absorbed or maybe they just are because of extreme paranoia and, and the mental illness. Either way, they're a complete danger to society. Yeah. And the fact that he just can, he wants to play the victim the whole time. He wants yeah. to deny what he did. He wants to blame other people. He wants to say, these other people set me up. There's other suspects. Here, I'll give you names. Like, you're willing, you, you want to blame everybody else yep. for the fact that you innocently, like, you just murdered three people for no real reason. No reason at all. And man. you can't really, you, you tried to give one. It was so obviously bullshit that the cops just laughed at you. And now you're, you're only, like, you're just resulting to, uh, I didn't do it. You're all lying. Right. Everybody else is lying. Come on, dude. Right? It's like you've already said that you did the murders. You were just lying about your motive. Yeah. Which we have no idea what that motive is. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, he could have suffered from something as serious as schizophrenia, Andy. Mm -hmm. And really not know what his motive is. No, very from, much so. From time to time. There, the, the the indications of like his behavior being so different and so kind of off the wall sometimes, just like his neighbor saying, him sitting out one night having wine and a cigar and singing opera to the next night having a beer and cussing at his house. Yeah. It's it's behaviors of someone who's not in the, the right mind all the time. Yeah. So yeah, he there's there's probably some mental illness, but the fact of like his his paranoia just wants him to blame everybody else. He's like, everybody yeah. else is out to get me. Everybody else is the problem. It, it's clearly not me. And yeah, it's, he's just a despicable person. Now he doesn't, you don't even get like yeah. the, like we said, there's not a good why for this. You don't no. get to even, you don't even get to say like, well, unfortunately they're just very mentally ill. Yeah. It's like, but, but those people just had too much impact on his life. The people he <clears> chose, <throat> they mm -hmm. were the direct opposite of what his life was going. And they were direct contacts for two decades. You know, it's just, it's hard to think that you just flipped out and decided to kill these these three random people yeah. who all happen to be in the same field in a field that affected you greatly financially. Mm -hmm. And then you're also pleading insanity. Yeah, this guy just, he, di he didn't really have a good motive for any of this. That's why I said the why can be, the why can be anything from mental illness to whiny racist bitch to, you know, yeah. uh, plan like to his weird little assassin schemes or whatever. It's like, yeah, he's giving so many different whys and there's not a real clear one. It just sucks. 
It does. It does. But guys, there you go. There is the case of Salvatore Peron, clothing designer extraordinaire turned serial killer. Yes, just fashion visionary, just yep. underappreciated. Underappreciated. Apparently. Framed for these awful crimes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just, I am working for the Palestinian sector of the Italian CAA. That's not a thing. That's not show a me thing. a business card. That's show, not a thing. Please show me a letterhead. Give me something. Right. Give, me, Give me a badge. <laughs> what do you got? Give me something to back that up, my guy. Right, I can't. Right. Seriously. You don't even smell good. You don't even have all oh my Gaia. We don't believe you. Yeah, you, you, you fucking need an Sweaty old more. bastard. You, you smell s- like cigars and old wine. You smell like you smell like old new wine. <laughs> you smell like a new wine. You smell like a new wine. It's gross. Uh, <laughs> it's a great insult to tell somebody. You smell like a new wine. It's like, is that, oh is that my good? Gosh. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch that scent to Wendy. <laughs> Over at Oh My Gaia. Hey guys, Oh My Guy is an innovative all-natural deodorant fragrance and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Guy, like I said, they use only all-natural and paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, and so many more on the website at ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, or you can check them out on Instagram at shop underscore ohmygaia. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the code word CREEPER for 15% off. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. You guys will not regret it. No, you will not. You smell so good. No, you will not. And guys, if you're on YouTube, please look up True Crime Guys official channel. Hit that subscribe button and Check out all of our new episodes coming out on Strange and Unexplained, or you can listen to the audio versions wherever you listen to podcasts every single Monday Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future until we get tired and quit randomly. (laughs) But we'll be back. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, guys, like, subscribe, share, leave a comment on some of those videos. Especially give us some comments on things you want to hear, some case case suggestions. suggestions. Always open for case suggestions, Uh, guys. Email us at truecrimeguys at Mm -hmm. gmail.com. DM us any of our social medias. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. But yeah, guys, we really want to do some more case suggestions, more things that you guys bring to us, especially for for Sandu. Any kinds of missing persons or weird occurrences or strange cases that are from your neck of the woods. Absolutely. Especially ones that are lesser known. Please send them our way. We'd love to cover them. Absolutely. Well said, Andy. Uh, Also, check out our music on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music. Check out True Crime Guys as an artist. We have a couple albums out there and a few singles you guys can enjoy, add to your playlist and whatnot. Um, And yeah, at True Crime Guys on social media. And don't forget, guys, the best way to support the show is patreon.com slash truecrimeguys, where for just two bucks a month, you can get access to every Patreon exclusive we've ever done and early and ad-free access to these regular episodes. And in the $5 tier, you can get access to everything in every show we have ever done, Andy. Mm-hmm. And it's hundreds of audio files. Again, that's patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. All right. I think that's pretty much it. Right. Andy, you I got think anything? so. Nah, man, I'm excited. We got a few things, uh, fun things coming up. We got a really exciting new Patreon episode coming up this yes, month, guys. Yes. Uh, we're not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna spoil too much, but me and Michael are gonna do a, a famous musician case uh, yes, for both are. of us. Uh, 
So we're going to have a little, a little bit of fun with that. It's not going to be one of our dramatic cult episodes. Right. But, uh, yeah, me and Michael get to get to talk about something we're both a little interested in. What's that? That's in two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. They, uh, yeah, two weeks from now. Yeah, because next week we'll be back here on the free platform with a regular episode, and then we'll be on Patreon talking about this mystery musician. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, until then, I guess you just have to keep on creeping. All right. Bye. I'll I'll clean that up. I know that was a little bit clunky. I'll clean I'll, we'll clean that up in post. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> that was my hip. <coughs>